Welcome back to Ratchet Immerse Radio, strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm your host, Chris Jones, and today I'm joined by Rob Choicer. Uh, Rob is the founder and owner of Choicer Automotive Services in Davidsonville, Maryland. So today, Rob and I are going to talk about his backstory, how he got started in the auto care industry, and Rob's four trademarks that help him set his vision for Choicer Automotive Services. He's also going to talk about how you can create a vision for your auto repair shop too, based on how he used those four trademarks to build his foundational pillar. So here's Rob. Well, hey, Rob, welcome to Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I'm excellent. Excellent. Awesome. So you come to us from Choicer Automotive Service in Davidsonville, Maryland. Tell us about the shop. Yes, sir. We moved into the location. Uh, I took it over in 2013, and then it took us about six months to rehab it. Uh, we had a lot of work to do to it. It had been sitting empty for almost eight years, but um, poured a new floor, put in new lifts, um, new wiring, lighting, all that stuff, and um, brought it to life in March of 2014. Oh, wow. So what was the what was the building prior to? You said it was a tire shop? No, the store in Davidsonville was a service center. It's actually uh, shares a parking lot with a gas station. So at one point it was the gas station service center um, and we're separate from the gas station. Um, and it was just a service center. So it's, you know, 20, it's right around 2000 square feet and um, three bays and then has a small office area on one end of the building. Okay. So we'll dive right in, Rob. Uh, you know, you have these four trademarks that you've built your business upon. Uh, can you tell us what those trademarks are and just give us a brief explanation of each one? Yeah. So, you know, in starting to develop from being a technician into a business owner, I started training and in that I came across a book called Build a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And then also Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And in you know reading those books and really uh, reflecting on the, the content, it's like, you know, I need to tell a story about why we do auto repair and then why we specifically do auto repair the way Choicer Automotive does auto repair and be able to tell that to not only your team, but your customers and get buy-in from everybody involved. So I had the opportunity to learn about registered trademarks. And our first one we got when I was still a mobile service and doing diagnostic work. So our first trademark was specializing in convenience because, you know, auto repair is inconvenient. It messes with someone's schedule. It messes with fleet schedules and, you know, certainly delays car uh, repair when I was going out to body shops and doing diagnostic work there. So we established specializing in convenience as one of our trademarks and we marketed and built the business off of that one. And then when we got closer to moving into the Davidsonville store, I had been in business um, about eight years. I was like, okay, now I need to tell the story to a broader audience. So what are we truly solving here? And in auto repair, what we're really solving is car pain, um, which we registered car pain as one of our trademarks. I mean, that pain can be, you know, unexpected breakdown. It can be an unexpected cost. It can be having to replace your car prematurely, uh, realizing that you're underwater and it's value. So you have negative equity. Um, it can be, you know, a dead battery when you need to go out and go to work. It can be a flat tire when 
it's the most uh, inconvenient time. It can be, you know, your engine gets a check engine light as you're getting ready to go on vacation, or you're sitting in traffic on vacation and the AC stops working. All of those are pain points. So we've coined that as car pain. Um, you know, thinking about it further, you know, what do people lose when they have car pain? Well, they lose confidence in their vehicle and in their freedom of travel and, and then also the security that their car provides them and their family as they're going on you know, their daily activities of life. So we registered enduring confidence because everything that we do is to promote enduring confidence in their vehicle and in their ownership experience of automobiles. Um, and then the combination of all of that, specializing in convenience, eliminating car pain, providing enduring confidence, all of that keeps you on the road of life, which is our final trademark to date. Um, and if you really think about your automobile, your automobile purchase experience, your earliest childhood memories of riding around in a car, all of that is how you travel through life. Dude, that's awesome. I love how you developed these and I love the idea of the story brand. Can you, can you, before we unpack these four, can you talk about really the importance of a shop having a story? I can. Um, you know, I really would recommend anybody read the book, but every story has a hero and a villain, a guest, and a guide. And we are, as auto repair shop owners or auto technician practitioners or customer service in this industry, we are really just the guide so the customer, consumer, or client, however you want to you know, name your uh, people that visit you, um, we just need to be their guide. And they're looking for someone to help them be the hero in their life, for themselves, for their family, for their friends, for anybody they need to transport in their vehicle of choice. And if we guide them well, then they get confidence and they go about their daily activities. But if we don't guide them well, then they don't get confidence. They start to question price. They start to question competency. They start to question everything about the transaction, and it makes it very transactional instead of relational. When you can meet people where they are and actually develop a relationship um, with trust, transparency, and accountability, then everyone can count on uh, the whole transaction as being positive instead of it being uh, looked at differently. And possibly negatively. Okay. And so for those who are listening and keeping score and trying to unpack and understand that the the guide, uh, the guide hero relationship is very similar to kind of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, correct? Correct. There it is. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, you know, cars are so diverse. They're getting older. And the owner of the car, if they're a car enthusiast, likely can know more about that vehicle than you can. 
because they know specifically about that car. And we need to know about all of the cars. But what we have to relay to them is that we can still guide them through the principles of the vehicle. And we have the resources and the desire to serve them. And we will get to the bottom of whatever their concern is. You know, they may know more about how their infotainment system works on the daily more than we do. Yet we can get in there and reprogram it for them, which they can't do. Um, It's very interesting when you listen to people's story, what their pain points are, what their car pain is. And then we go about guiding them to a better solution and help them manage that and get them to, um, to a different position with their ownership experience. Right. And that really takes us back to the heart of entrepreneurship, you know, and in its simplest form, entrepreneurship is just solving problems, right? Someone has a problem, we solve it. That's right. So let's break down the concept of specializing in convenience. Um, you know, uh, how do you think shops can best address the convenience issue for a customer? You can look at it. Your people buy a vehicle for transportation, for freedom that that vehicle provides. They don't buy it to have it in my shop, your shop, or any other shop. They buy it for the use of it and the freedom that that vehicle provides. So when you lose that freedom, it's very inconvenient. When you have to go in for an oil change, it's inconvenient. When you have to go in for a check engine light, it's inconvenient. And people's lives are busy. So when you can position yourself to solve those issues as efficiently as possible by having a cohesive team, by having clear processes so that you can process this complaint that the customer has most efficiently and get it back to them, then you've just specialized in convenience. You've just created a convenient process so that they can get their convenience back of having an automobile that functions properly when they need it. Okay. And can you talk about the other side of convenience? Because you know, right now we we talk a lot about just various generations, whether it's Gen Z or even like some of the the later millennials, uh, how, you know, the digital convenience is very important. Uh, Being able to access a website in a mobile, being able to text with a technician, like how important is it to be convenient on the digital side? It's super important. You know, everybody has become, you know, instant gratification. And that's everybody from the adolescent all the way up to the senior. We've all become, you know, we can have it today. We can have it tomorrow at the latest. We can talk to somebody right now um, and not talk to them with your voice, but you can absolutely reach them through text or you can reach them through email. And when you have that kind of threshold that you're trying to accommodate, meet people where they are and what they've become accustomed to, you know, it's much like I, I tell this story about feeding the bears. If you feed the bears, they forget how to hunt. If you provide technology that allows people not to memorize phone numbers anymore, they forget phone numbers. Now, we, if you make self-driving cars, even some level of autonomy built into a car, people are going to eventually 
forget how to drive. You have to figure out what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but we need to make sure that we meet people where they are with this, the technology that's available, but not become so hyper-dependent on the technology that we forget how to actually live in um, a regular social society. Right on. And let's uh, look, let's look, uh, look at car pain a little bit. You know, that's one of the, the core tenets of yours. Like how have you trained your team to, to handle the car pain issues that the customers come in with, or they call in with, like, what are, what are some of the ways that, that they handle that in a way that you feel is just above and beyond or very, very professional for the industry? When I was um, very active in the emergency medical service, so I was an EMT I, which is an advanced level uh, emergency medical provider. When you go in to any kind of medical call or vehicular accident or accident on a sports field, you do an assessment because there's a painful situation going on. It may be emotional pain. It may be physical pain. It may be, you know, a, a hemorrhage, a broken bone, a heart attack. You never know what you're going to get, but you always have to assess the, the scene and the patient and the bystanders the same way with a clear um, evaluation of what what are we dealing with? You listen to what the bystanders say. You listen to what the patient says. You listen to what your team says because they're seeing it from their perspective and you're seeing it from yours. And then you document it all. So we have developed a system that we assess every car the same way. We try to answer every phone call the same way by listening, documenting what we hear, and then asking questions to find clarity. That not only helps to eliminate the car pain once it's identified, it also allows everybody to have the same dialogue or vocabulary for addressing the situation. And that whole process creates an efficiency that allows your entire team to be much more effective in their efforts. Okay. And, you know, I know one of the things that, that surrounds car pain is that the idea that I really can't be without my vehicle. Like, you know, if something goes wrong, the la the thing I'm thinking about most is how am I getting to work? How am I going to get around the next day or two? Like, how, how do you guys address just some of those things? Do you guys do loaners? Do you, like, how, do you, how do you help customers, like, get settled when it comes to possibly being without their vehicle for a day or two or three? We do a lot of shuttling. Um, we do have a couple vehicles that we loan out, but we don't have a full loaner car program. We don't have the real estate uh, to do that currently, but we do a lot of shuttling and we are a whatever it takes mindset in our culture of the company. So, you know, we have two and sometimes three people that will be shuttling vehicles or sh running parts or whatever needs to happen there all the way up to loaning out the couple vehicles that we have. Um, that's a very touchy situation because there's a lot of liability that can come with loaners. But if you prepare yourself proactively to be able to do that, you can protect your company, your team, your finances, and you know just the liability that goes along with that. So there's many people that have huge loaner fleets and they can provide a convenience with that. 
We try to do it in our local community through shuttles and then efficiency of our operation with the whole goal of getting your car back to you in 24 to 48 hours from the initial phone call. That focus on that timeline has made it customer feedback even more um, well-received is that timeline of making sure you get your car back within 48 hours because they can absorb that time frame without their car. They can't absorb two, three weeks without their car. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. Which, which brings me to the next thing that I want to talk about, which is the confidence part. You talk about the enduring confidence. I know a lot of shops do digital inspections to help educate their customers. Like how, how are you guys really you know, using the tools you have to inspire confidence in the customer? We do digital inspections. We take you know pictures. And when I started the company in 2006, the first tool that I bought, uh, in addition to everything we already had, was a digital camera. And I would take pictures and send them to the client of what I saw through email so that we could have a discussion without doing a in-person show and sell. And that that's really foundational of how I built the company. Some of the customers, I never met them face to face for months after or maybe even a year after I worked on their vehicle because it was all done through reputation and uh, email and pictures, documentation that way. But um, the, the transparency of a system of how you look at a car, I think, is the biggest one that builds confidence. <clears throat> you know, if you take a shop that has five technicians in it and each technician has their own experience level, maybe even certification level, even tools, and they look at Mrs. Jones' 2012 Honda Accord with 93,000 miles on it. If those five technicians don't look at that car in your shop with the same lens, then that customer gets a different experience depending on who looks at their car within your organization. That is something that I identified as being a big confidence breakdown. And that's what builds loyalty to a single person in your business instead of to your business as a whole. So what we did is we put together through a team collaborative effort, what's good, what's bad. When do we as a team say, this is going bad, we need to address, you know, notify. This is bad, we need to address it. And this is unsafe. And we need to make sure that the customer knows they shouldn't drive this car. And when you build that continuity in your inspection process, documented on every vehicle, and every time that same vehicle comes in, the customer, consumer, client, they begin to count on that. And that builds the confidence. The consistency in your process builds the confidence. If you think about, you know, I, I speak about this frequently, Chick-fil-A. You can even take it to McDonald's, but I like to use Chick-fil-A. When you go to any Chick-fil-A in this country, you can pretty much count on it's going to be the same chicken sandwich in the same foil bag. It's going to come with waffle fries. They're going to say, it's my pleasure when you say thank you. And you're not going to get any dark meat. 
and it's not going to ever have a chicken bone in it. That's consistency. And every Chick-fil-A, when it comes to town, it either comes with two drive through lanes or it rapidly grows to that. And other restaurants in town are grossly affected by their presence. So, Rob, you know, with a lot of shops using digital inspections, um, you know, and other tools to enhance the customer experience and knowledge, uh, how are you guys doing that? How are you guys engaging with the customer to help them become more confident in the decisions they make when they enter your shop? The best way that we're doing that is through doing a consistent process every time the customer comes in. And what I mean by that is if you have five guys in your shop and each one of those guys does some version of their inspection and then the criteria in the inspection when they say something is bad, when something is going bad and when something's unsafe to you know continue driving. If there's not a consistency there across your team, then it causes um, the, cu- the customer to not have confidence in your building, maybe one person in your building, not in your business, but maybe one special person within your business. And what we found is by bringing the team together ahead of time and saying, okay, team, this is what we're trying to accomplish, which is to never allow someone to have unexpected car pain and the consequence of that is loss of confidence we need to make sure that everybody is on the same page when we look at a car and we did that and we documented it and we've trained on it and we discuss it when we onboard a new team member but bigger than that is because it's documented and you know we even have it laminated up and we can show that to the customer This is our process. This is what we do. This is why we do it, because we never want you to have these, you know, negative experiences with your automobile that causes you to lose confidence, replace it prematurely, get into a car, you know, new car payment or heaven forbid, buy a new used car that has more problems than your car did. Um, This is how we assess your car and we're going to do it every time you come in. And they say, wow, I've never experienced this before. This sounds like a great plan. And then you do it and you give them the report, you go go over it, you show them the the transparency and what they have in their vehicle. After all, it's their vehicle. It's not ours. It's theirs. We're the guide. We want to treat it as if it was ours. Treat it as if we're going to put our most precious loved one in it and send it down the road. Because ultimately, it's going down the road next to your most precious loved one, whether you realize that or not. And if we put quality vehicles back out on the road then everybody becomes safer. But the confidence thing comes from the consistency. Um, I speak to how Chick-fil-A has grown and become you know, such a reputable uh, entity in the food service. Well, they do it because it doesn't matter which Chick-fil-A you go to. People are in uniform. The stores look relatively the same. But most importantly is you, when you order a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, it's going to be the same. It's going to taste the same. The recipe is the same. It's going to come in the same foil package and you can get it any day of the week except for Sunday. And they stick to their guns with that. You're never going to get a piece of dark meat and you're never going to get a piece of chicken with a bone in it. That's not what they do. But what they do do, they do very well and people can become to rely on that 
And all of a sudden they need two drive throughs in any town they put it in. And they're backed up all the way around the building and out into the street. If you develop a specific, consistent process and have buy-in from your team because they believe in what your vision is and why you're doing what you're doing. Why are we inspecting every car this way? Why are we inspecting every car at all? Then the customer and your team can count on their team members, on their experience, and the success that it brings, which ultimately, if you really break it down, is you rebuild confidence. So with, with the inspection and with the processes that you guys have, like how, how do customers like that? Like how do customers like being in the know, being informed, really having that power put back in their hands? Because I know so often when we talk about auto repair or, or even, even like when you deal with like medical types of things, when the customer feels like they're in the dark about the procedure or they don't have enough tangible information, it can be a scary thing, you know? It can be something that they don't look forward to, they dread, and they're concerned about what's it going to cost me, how much time, this, that, and the third. So uh, how do customers feel about you know, auto repair shops giving them the power of the decision? Our customers really value it, and our new customers have come to us because they want to be a part of that. And the special thing about it is, once they realize that you truly have their best interest and their car's best interest in at heart with everything that you do, then they don't question it anymore. They don't need to know all the details anymore. They don't need to figure it out. And as long as you don't compromise that trust, you've just built a relationship that's less stressful on both sides. You know, think about your team. If they get um, questioned about everything that they do by the consumer because the consumer comes in untrusting our industry, that stresses them. And they have to, some people would say it's, it's holding your team accountable. The customer's holding your team accountable. But I think about it differently. I think that the culture of why you're in business, why you do things, holds the team accountable through culture, not because someone is trying to poke holes in their activities. You know, most people are good. Most customers are good. It doesn't mean that some customers aren't going to come in and manipulate a situation to their benefit. It doesn't mean that there's some employees that will end up on your team that aren't going to try to manipulate their efforts to most, most benefit their paycheck. But if they do that and it compromises the customer's perception of your business, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it starts to taint your culture. And you may not even recognize it, but everyone else that's interacting in your business does. Um, and it'll break it down. It'll break down um, the confidence that everybody could feel, but they don't because you just have one situation that wasn't as transparent as it should be. Okay. And lastly, in terms of the, the four core trademarks is, you know, getting people back on the road of life. Like what's your, what's your shop's commitment to getting people back on the road quickly once they've turned their vehicles over to you? So our goal is 24 to 48 hours from the initial phone call. 
and we do that pretty routinely. Um, there's certainly in you know the wake of COVID and supply chain issues times when you can't get parts that fast, but as long as you keep in communication with the customer, they will you know absorb that and understand that we're doing the best we can, but there are things outside of our our control. Um, and then the road of life, you know, you have to have a clear desire and understanding that people don't buy cars to have them in your shop. They don't buy cars to have them in any other shop. So, and when you, when their car is there, whether it's for an oil change, whether it's for a tire or battery uh, engine replacement, a headlight bulb, a windshield. It doesn't matter what it's there for. It is inconvenient. And it does take them out of their daily routine of life. It takes them off of the road of life that they bought that car to travel on. So the faster that you can position your team through having the right equipment, through having the most lean processes you can, so that there's less steps, so that, you know, every day comes with 24 hours. And we're each given those 24 hours until we're not. But if we make the hours that we're given operate as efficiently as possible, then everybody starts to win. Okay. And really quickly, you know, you talk about lean processes. Have you guys developed, you know, uh, a system or a procedure that allows you to move more swiftly in terms of like one from the phone call to, you know, getting the car in the bay that allows you guys to get the parts, get things going so that people are back on the road much quicker. We have, um, it's actually a nine step process. Um, I spoke to you, we did this hiring event yesterday to staff our new store that's coming in Easton, Maryland. And, we talked about the relay race and the chain of command or the chain of custody rather of the baton, which is ultimately the customer's key fob. And each step is dependent on the next step. And the more efficient this segment of that relay race goes. So if leg one goes really, really efficient and we do it instead of in 10 minutes, we can do it in eight minutes accurately. Then leg two, they have an extra two minutes in case something goes wrong. But leg two, if it does it in eight minutes instead of 10 minutes, well, now leg three has 14 minutes to do their leg because they gain two minutes from the prior two legs. So they have four minutes in case something goes wrong. They're stuck on hold or a bolt breaks or they don't have the right filter or everything that can go wrong in our industry. But if everything goes right there and they gain two minutes, well, now the fourth leg goes into it with 16 minutes. And you go through all nine legs of this relay race. And if everything goes perfectly well, then the customer gets their car back 20 minutes earlier than they expected. We over deliver. But if you're running through this relay race and segment your leg five, everything goes wrong, hits the floor, you you slip and you cut your finger and you have to patch that up and then you get back on it. But all the rest of them go well. 
then you're going to deliver that car on time. The customer is going to get exactly what they expected. But if everything goes wrong, every leg of the race takes an extra five minutes or 20 minutes or two weeks because you broke the only part that was available for that particular car and you can't get another one for two weeks. And you have to call the customer up and say, you know, Mrs. Jones, we're really sorry, but this is what happened. It's going to take two weeks to get your part to fix your car. You've over-delivered or delivered on time so many times because that's your normal process. That's your that's what you strive for, that you have goodwill. And that goodwill, the customer will say, we know you always do your best. Thank you for communicating with us. Please let us know when we can have our car back. It, it diffuses the things that we all know can go wrong in our industry. When you have a process that strives for over-delivery, it accepts standard delivery, but acknowledges that sometimes you're going to under-deliver. And then it just becomes communication. If you communicate all of these things the same way every time, then there's transparency, there's ownership, there's accountability, there's lessons from the failures, but there's great success from the typical daily activities of your business and the customer's experience with you. All right. Yeah, and I love that, I love that idea of just creating that goodwill by over-delivering. I think that means a lot to a customer. It's all, you know, customer perception. And, you know, nobody's perfect. But if you strive for perfection, you can always achieve excellence. And with excellence, people desire to do business with you, whether that be your team that wants to work with you or your customers that want to um, spend money with you. Okay. Now, you you talked about something You know, we want to touch on a few minutes ago about this hiring event that you just did because you're about to expand to a new location. Talk about that a little bit. Like, you know, talk about the premise of the hiring event, the goal and objective, and really moving into the next location, what that's going to look like for, for Choice or Automotive. Yeah, so it's it's very interesting. It was an out-of-the-box um, kind of approach. We're still under renovations, yet we need to start assembling a team, and we're going into a new market with the choicer, you know, approach to automobile maintenance and your repair. So in brainstorming with my leadership team and my coaches, so how can we assemble a team that doesn't need to be assembled yet, but we need to make sure that they're on board with the way that we do auto repair so that when we launch the store, we have a greater propensity for success out of the gate versus having to constantly recreate the wheel over the first six months to a year. And I, I really thought about that. I thought about my time in, you know, emergency medical service and the fire department. I thought about my time, you know, speaking with military friends of mine that have been in, um, you know, recruiting classes and special teams. And um, how do you bring a team together? Well, they have to be of like-minded. All right. Well, how do you make sure a team is like-minded? You have to have a one-to-many meeting. Okay. Well, how can we accomplish a one-to-many meeting in an environment that isn't established yet, in a market that we don't have an influence over yet, and pull this off? 
So we started running ads. We started talking about this event that we were going to do. And we went to the building that's under construction. We rented a bunch of tables. We set up two big screen monitors on the wall. That's just a stud wall. And we had it catered by a local uh, food vendor. And we didn't have any bathrooms. So we got like an outdoor venue bathroom trailer that had uh, running water and lights and all this stuff. It's not just a porta potty. And we brought this team together in this environment and laid out what our vision is. What our vision is for them as team members of Choicer Automotive. What our desire for our customers is. What our desire for serving the community is. What the pain points are in the industry. How we go about navigating them and trying to eliminate them. And it was so well received Um, everybody that attended, and there was about 30 people that attended last night, they all said they had never experienced something like this. It was a great approach. They really feel like there's a cohesiveness to this group of people that just met each other last night. They're not employees. They're just people that came together in community for a common purpose of finding out what this new business is about. It was very interesting, um, the feedback, the commentary that came throughout it, and um, I'm, I'm very hopeful that it's going to continue to play out the way that it started. Okay, cool. And uh, when, do, when do you plan to open the shop? When is that uh, slated? We're looking probably in July. Um, we're waiting for the permit to come back from the town of Easton currently. Um, and as soon as that comes back, we're going to start the construction side of it. We have all the equipment pre-ordered and staged. Um, so we're ready to, to deploy that. And it's all dependent on when we're going to get the permits back. All right. And Rob, as someone who's kind of, who's seen as an influence within this industry, um, you know, how can shop owners begin to make preparations for the changing time that's happening in the industry. Like, you know, I know you, I know you're probably on top of that already. You're doing a lot of things to, to move your, your shop forward. What do you advise shop owners who are looking to move forward with the industry as it begins to change now? The biggest thing is to pay attention to trends, get around successful forward thinking peers and make sure that you don't become complacent. You know, this industry and just society and technology as a whole is moving at Mach 10. And if you stand still for a second, you've gone backwards two years. If you stand still for a day, you've gone backwards 10 years. And it sounds really crazy to think about, but that's how fast everything's moving. And yet, in our industry, The average car on the road and the cars are coming into your shop, if you pay attention to it, they're actually getting older. You know, the average car on the road in America is almost 13 years old. So if that's the average, you figure that there has to be some cars on the road that are being driven daily that are 26 years old and some cars on the road that are being driven daily that are brand new 2023s. When you contemplate that, the technology that's changed 
in the last 26 years. And still having to have that top of mind so you can serve the client that has that older car. But be able to understand, articulate, research that 2023 and all the technology that's on the road in that one. We have a lot to keep up with. Our technicians have a lot to keep up with. Our parts people have a lot to keep up with. And our sales team has a lot to be able to speak to intelligently because the consumer can be driving a 26-year-old vehicle or a brand new vehicle. And you have to meet them where they are with compassion, empathy, and knowledge and confidence. These are all opportunities but they can also often feel like obstacles. If you create an environment that's safe, that they can all feel as opportunities, then your team um, is able to be successful regardless of the circumstance. Okay. And Rob, what do you think happens to the shop owner that fights against the future or that continues to bristle against change? Do you, do you like, do you foresee that that shop is survivable in 10 years or what do they have to do to, to break down their guard and say, okay, you know, we're moving forward. I, I realize that it may not be fun or convenient to learn new things, but it, change has changed. Like what, what happens? As, as I said in the last question, if you're not learning, if you aren't a lifetime learner, you will become obsolescent. Not as a person, but in this trade and in this industry. So you have to be willing to not only train, but invest in the equipment and support your team members to understand how to use the equipment safely and then also understand how the systems were designed to work. You have to invest. And the only way you can invest is if you understand your numbers. Numbers tell a story, but they're always the effect of actions. Numbers don't just happen. You have to go into with a clear intent of what those numbers need to be because of what your investment has to be in order to stay viable in the industry that you're operating in. And that's what so many people don't understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you do not know your numbers, if you are not profitable, if you do not have enough gross profit to not only cover your overhead, but invest in your future, you are on an obsolescent train. And it's really hard to understand that. Um, you know, we have a three-bay shop in Davidsonville. It's challenging to stay on top of all of the technology, all of the tools, all of the training that can be covered by the production of a three-bay store. We're able to do it because our shop is so efficient, our team is so well-trained, and our customers are so accustomed to what we do, and they value it enough to allow us to serve them with their automobile service. But if you don't have things in place, you won't have the, the profit to be able to reinvest to stay viable.
It is just too fast of a moving train. It's too fast of a moving industry. There are things that are being produced today that we won't see in an independent setting for maybe two or three, four years, five years. But we still have to know that they're there. We have to know that they're coming. We have to understand them enough that when the customer calls or the customer needs to speak about it, you can give them confidence that you can be trusted to service that next level of automobile. If your customer's calling and asking about how their ADAS system works and you're still thinking points, condenser, and carburetor, you're not in the same century. If people are thinking about tire pressure sensors and you're still talking about putting fix-a-flat in your tire, you're not serving that customer well. You're not staying viable because you don't understand how these things operate together. Your modern automobile is very much an organism. It's not just a piece of equipment anymore because it talks to itself and it makes adjustments dynamically throughout a drive cycle. You have to understand that and you have to be able to articulate that to your client if you don't, you're going to, you're behind the times. No, it's so true. Um, I was reading yesterday that, that, you know, GM is kind of repositioning itself uh, as a maker. You know, before it was GM was, you know, GM was we're America's car maker. And now as we get into this kind of technological revolution with vehicles, now they're saying, you know, hey, we're a software company that happens to make cars. So we're at this point where, you know, things are getting repositioned. It's like shop owners and shops really need to start thinking about what's our reposition going forward. Well, what are we? We're actually a people company. We're a people industry that happen to help people through servicing their automobiles. But when you boil it all the way down to the, to the foundation, we are people helping people. We just happen to help them with their mode of transportation. And I believe that our, our true purpose is to help people not lose time and money with their vehicle. Right on. Well, Rob, man, I appreciate having you on the podcast today. This has been a great discussion. Chris, I, I thank you so much. You know, I've been working with you ever since you you join Ratchet and Wrench, and uh, yeah, I always appreciate our conversations and look forward to the next opportunity. Sounds good, and uh, best of luck on the on the opening, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. And that's going to do it for us here today at Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Uh, I'd like to invite you to follow us on our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe to our email newsletter, which goes out daily. Uh, and you can find that at ratchetandwrench.com. That's R-A-T-C-H-E-T-A-N-D-W-R-E-N-C-H.com. And may the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.